Would you turn now with me to Psalm chapter 56? Psalm 56, as we continue in our series on the Psalms. Um, I, uh, my wife, actually, when she was 12 years old, she grew up in Philadelphia. When she was 12 years old, she moved from Philadelphia to South Carolina. And she had a best friend there. Her name was Kareth. And Kareth, they grew up together in church, and they were best friends. And when she told Kareth that her dad had gotten a job in South Carolina and that she would be moving away, they wept together. They just cried. That was their only appropriate response. And the psalm that we're, seeing, that we're reading and preaching from this morning really has to do with that very same thing that's happening in the life of David. It, if you know that from these psalms, sometimes we're given sort of a heading about what is taking place in the person's life when they write the psalm. And what we see here, written at the very first part of Psalm 56, it says, To the choir master, according to the dove on far-off terebinths. Nobody really knows what that means. It could be a tune. It could be some sort of instrument that they call the dove. Um, they're not sure what that means exactly, but it is a mictim or a style of song of David. So this was written by David, and it says, When the Philistines seized him in Gath. And so what you need is a little bit of historical context there. So if you were to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 20, you find out what's going on there. And what has happened is that this actually is immediately taking place. The Psalms weren't necessarily organized in chronological order. So this, you know, as we go through these, it's not following David's life perfectly along the timeline. This actually goes back to an earlier part of his life, earlier than some of the other Psalms we've looked at. And the earlier part of his life is basically immediately after he has left uh, Jerusalem and left the kingdom, because of Saul's anger towards him, and because Saul had put it in his mind to come after David and kill him because of jealousy. And so this actually takes place immediately after David and, and uh, Jonathan, who is David's best, best friend, have had to say goodbye. And both of them realize they might never see each other again. And, and the friendship that the Bible really describes of David and Jonathan is, is really deep and intense, loving friendship. And when it describes their departure, it actually says in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 41, that they both wept bitterly, and David wept even more than Jonathan. So that's the situation that David is in. He's realized he has to say goodbye to his best friend, that he might not ever see them again. And because of that, he's extremely saddened by that. He's extremely sorrowful over that. It's very similar to if you were to go to Acts chapter 20, Paul is speaking to the elders of the church of Ephesus. And at one point in his speech, he says, I'm leaving and I don't ever expect to see you again. They didn't have FaceTime and Skype back then. They, when they said goodbye, they really were saying goodbye, not knowing what would happen. And at the end of Acts chapter 20, it said they wept together because of his words that he might not ever see them again. So that, that's, that's what's going on in David. 
his life, he is saddened. He's also fearful because he's being chased. Even though David was a mighty warrior, he's on the run. And so the context we come to in Psalm 56 is that. David's on the run, but he's also feeling all the feels of this emotional departure. And so as we come to our psalm this morning, I want you to be really thinking of David in that situation. And what we're going to see is that we can trust God with all of our cares because he is the Lord. Let's look at Psalm 56. It says, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All the day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure me, they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape? In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. You have put your tears. You've put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call God. This I know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Would you pray with me one more time? Holy Spirit, it would not be right for us to come to your word, which you yourself have inspired those who have written these words down and not ask for your help in understanding them. It would be prideful for us to think that we can understand your scriptures without you first revealing them to us, no matter what kind of logic or what kind of grammar we use to interpret them. We need you. And so help us this morning. And give us the ability to know what this psalm might mean for us today. Several thousand years after they were written. In Jesus' name, amen. What I want you to see this morning again is that we can trust God with all of our cares. Emphasis on all. All of our cares because he is the Lord. I'm going to look at that in Three points. The first being that we can trust him with our fears. The second, that we can trust him with our tears. And the third, that we can trust him because of who he is. And so let's just walk through those things. First thing we see as David opens up his psalm is that he is being honest about his fears. Now remember who this is. This is David who killed Goliath. This is all taking place after that. It's David who killed his ten thousands. He's a mighty warrior. And so for any of us in this room who think that we can kind of have this buck-up mentality and not ever have to be fearful, or who think we have enough 
confidence or trust in the sovereignty of God that we will never be afraid. Look at David who says in verse 3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Not if I am afraid, but when I am afraid. One time when I was in a discipleship course, one of the first things they asked us, I was with a group of other students, one of the first things they asked us was to share with one another, kind of have a moment of vulnerability, share with the group, what are you afraid of? And so we were going around in the circle sharing, and I happened to be the last one, and everybody went around and kind of shared what they were afraid of. And when it got to me, um, I literally couldn't think of anything. And so I said, I, I, I don't think I'm afraid of anything. Man, how short-sighted is that? How, how non-humble is that? And I didn't realize at the time how much I was being really full of it and how much I was afraid of many things that I wasn't able to see or admit on my own. Some of those things being the fear of failure, the fear of letting people down, the fear of people's opinions, the fear of being seen as a fraud. The fear of looking weak or letting others down, those are really mental fears, but all of us are fearful. At some point in our lives, all of us have fears. Maybe you lost your job and you have no idea where to look for the next one or where to find one that will supply enough means for your family. Maybe that's your fear. Maybe your fear is... Uh, something to do with your physical body or ailments. Will you make it through this? Will, will you catch COVID? And if you do catch COVID, will you make it through? What, what are the fears that have you? And what I want you to see from this text is that those fears are okay. It's not saying that fear is a sin. Certain types of fear are sinful, but in this world, you will have troubles. Jesus promised you that. And in this world, there are natural fear responses to natural things in the world. Listen, all of us as parents would say a child who has no element of fear in their life is a dangerous child for themselves. If there's no fear capacity in someone, it could actually be very dangerous for that person to even go about life on their own. There's a healthy level of fear that God does give us. And so it's okay. That's the first thing I want you to see from this psalm. It's okay to be afraid. Actually, the Bible kind of has some emphasis on the courage that the gospel can bring to somebody. And courage, if you really think about it, courage comes about in a person's life when they walk through moments of being afraid. You can't have courage without facing moments where you have fear in your life because courage is actually the defeating of fear and going through situations which cause fear, which ultimately only comes through a robust faith and trust in God. And that's what David is saying. He's saying, when I am afraid, I put my trust not in my strength, not in my wisdom, not in my strategies to get out of the situation, but I put my trust in you, 
Look at verse 4. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. So who is his trust in? It's in God. That's what we're going to see in our last point. And so the first thing I want you to see, though, is that David is able to acknowledge when he's afraid. And so all of us really need to be able to acknowledge, first and foremost, when we are afraid. And not, you know, especially for the guys, not to kind of have this buck-up mentality that nothing, nothing can sway me. Nothing can shake me. Right? But with David, who was, I'm sorry, men, but he was way more mighty than any of you. Who even David could say, when I am afraid, I will put my trust you because you are God. So that's really the first thing is we can trust him with our fears. The second thing is we can trust him with our tears. Look at verses 8 and 9. And this is really one of where I want to focus most of our time this morning, most of our emphasis. He says, you have kept count of my tossings. You have put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? At first, when I read this, I'll be honest with you, it's, it reminded me of like somebody's love song. You know, Tears in a Bottle. It, it seems like it could be the title of a love, a love song. But David, he's really, he's getting to the heart right here, isn't he? He's saying, look, look, I trust in this God who has told me he is a God of steadfast love and faithfulness. And he's putting into mental imagery what he truly believes about God's care for him. You have kept count of my tossings. Uh, or, of, you know, if you've ever had a sleepless night, what do you do? You roll back and forth. You toss back and forth. Sometimes more than anybody can count. And yet David is saying, you have kept count of my tossings. You know every single one. You have put my tears in your bottle. You've saved every one of my tears. Uh, my mom uh, collected all of her children's teeth. That might sound kind of strange to you, but she she loved it, and it was really a sweet thing. Um, she has these, I believe she saved these. Actually, my older brother at one point um, threw some of them out, or he, he did some kind of experiment with, with soda to see if it would decay them. And uh, it didn't work, so if you, you can drink soda, it's okay. Um, but he did a spirit and threw out the teeth or something, but she started collecting them again. Now she actually collects grandchildren's teeth. And she loves, I mean, it's kind of like a sentimental thing for her. And so that's sweet. And then, you know, other parents um, who actually will collect their children's hair. The first, not all of their hair, but you know that first clip that you get at the barbershop? They'll save that from that first cut. They'll save it. It's, it's a sweet, sentimental thing for them. Well, this is saying that the Lord collects our tears. Now, does he literally do that? No. Our tears fall to the ground, or they fall in, into a tissue, and they get thrown in the trash. But what is David saying? He's saying the Lord loves his children. He keeps count of your tossings. He saves your tears. He knows every single one. He knows what they were shed for. He knows the pain that was behind them, the joy that was behind them. He sees your tears. He counts your tears. He saves your tears. Why? Because he cares for you. Because 
because he loves you. And he cares about the, what's behind those things. He writes all these things down in his book. Now, what I want you to hear from this psalm is that David is saying he's trusting in the Lord's compassion. He's really trusting that the Lord cares for him. And so if we were to, to just go with this theme for a little while, I want to try to communicate to you this morning that God really is a God who cares, who says it's okay to cry, literally to cry. It's okay to weep. It's okay to be sad. And so I just wanted to read several different places in our, in, in our Bible where it really says this. The first is from Psalm 34. We just read that again. Uh, interesting fact is that Psalm 34 and Psalm 56 as well as Psalm 52 and probably other psalms were, were all written around this same time. And based on the headings, you can kind of determine... You know, maybe this is one of those nights or one of those periods where David is sitting in that cave in the dark, and all he can do is just write these psalms, write these songs to kind of comfort himself in his grieving and in his sadness. And so Psalm 34 was one of those, and he says in there several things. He said, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all of my fears. He said, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. He says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears are toward their cries. And then he says later on, he says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears, and he delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Cares about those who are sad, who are weeping, who are crying, who are hurting. John 11, when it's talking about Jesus and he came to the funeral of Lazarus, it describes that the moment he saw Mary weeping, and when the Jews had come and they were also weeping, it says he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, and that he wept. Jesus wept. And when they saw him weeping, they said, look at how much he loved him. So Jesus himself, the creator of all things, the one who knew the outcome of that situation, that he would raise Lazarus from the dead, even in that situation, he wept. And I believe part of that is because he saw the sadness in his people's hearts. He was weeping partly because they were weeping. He wept with those who wept. He mourned with those who mourned. Isaiah 53, when it's describing the Messiah who would come, it's describing Jesus, and it says this, He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. The one who has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Later it says it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And out of the anguish of his soul, he would see and be satisfied. So Jesus himself, the Messiah, the Christ who would come, is described as a man of sorrows. One who is very acquainted with grief and sadness. Isn't that the kind of Savior that you want and need in your moments of pain and suffering? One who knows exactly the emotions that you're feeling, who knows the tears, who knows the sadness, who knows the hurt, who knows 
even the fears? This is why Jesus could say in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The writer of Hebrews, when he's talking about this gentle and lowly Savior, says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us when we are weak, when we are sad. We have a high priest who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Therefore, because we have a Savior who is able to sympathize, who is gentle and lowly, who wants to hear and see our tears and our cryings, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. So all of these things, 1 Peter 5 says, cast all your anxieties, all your cares on him because he cares for you. What are we hearing over and over in these passages? We're hearing this, that God cares about your tears. And he cares about what leads you to cry. He's a God who sympathizes with you. He's a God who cares for you, who has compassion towards you. And who responds with your kind, with your crying, with gentleness and kindness. How many of us as parents don't often respond to our kids crying with gentleness and kindness, but more with get it together? Jesus doesn't have a buck up theology. Jesus has a come here, come to me, and rest. Come to me and cry. Let it out. Just let it out. That's Jesus' approach to our sadness. That's why we can draw near to the throne of grace in our time of need. And so what are we saying here? We're saying it's okay to cry. It's okay to be sad, especially when we live in a broken world. Now, I had uh, in Revelation 21, verse 4, it says he will wipe away every tear, that there will be no more crying. And this is something to look forward to, isn't it? But what is that also promising? It's promising on this world, you are going to cry. There will be crying. And that's appropriate. Now, I was, I was teaching one time in Florida to a group of students on this idea of Revelation 21, the hope that we have, that there will be no more crying. And I had a, a student who's a teenage girl, and she raised her hand, she asked a question, she said, what about a good cry, though? Will we be able to have a good cry in heaven, a happy cry? Because sometimes crying is good. And I said, that's a really great question. Um, and I had to think about it. But here's, here's what my answer would be. I think I had some kind of answer for her. But here's what my answer would be. What, what is a good cry? Or a joyful cry. You see that in the Olympics right now, right? A good cry, I believe, is a subconscious response which is telling your heart and testifying to the world, this is the way things should be. Think about that for a second. When do you have a good cry? Or when do you have a happy cry? Usually it's something when 
really good just happened. And all of those feelings of joy, of happiness, of, of praise and exuberance, and in that moment you're not thinking about anything bad but only good, in that moment your body is reacting and telling you this is how things are supposed to be. This is what you're supposed to feel like all the time. But you can't because you live in a broken world. And so in a way, a good cry, a happy cry, is pointing you towards heaven. Where you're not going to have happy tears anymore. Why? Because you're always going to be happy. That's a cool thing to think about, isn't it? It's something to even cry over. Because in this world, we're going to continue to experience sadness. We're going to continue to experience happy cries. Because that's our heart crying out to that day, one day, when there's not going to be any more sadness and any more tears. There will be only joy and only happiness. And so, have a good cry this week. Have a good cry this morning. You're free to do that. You're welcome to do that. Because it's okay to cry. Um, at the end of Lord of the Rings, Samwise Gamgee, uh, he comes, he wakes up, spoiler alert, he wakes up after everything, and uh, the end of the Lord of the Rings, everything is uh, bright and white, and he sees Gandalf, who is one of his best friends, the wizard who he thought had died, and now he's there in front of him, and he says to Gandalf, he asks this question, he says, Gandalf, is everything sad? Coming untrue? And what is he asking that question? He's asking what all of our hearts are asking. Is everything sad going to come untrue? And the answer in Revelation 21 is that yes, they will. For God's people, for his children, everything sad will come untrue in heaven one day. But for now, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to cry. It's okay to have tears. And the Lord sees those. And so that's the second thing is that we can trust him with our tears. The final thing is we can trust him because he is the Lord, because he is God. I want to look at several verses. If you have uh, Psalm 56 open, let's just go through a, verse, a few of those. We can trust him as God because he is gracious. Look at verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God. And so we can trust God because he is gracious. We can trust him because he is powerful. Verse 4 says, uh, "Who? Why should I be afraid? What can man do to me? We can trust him because he is just. That is, he is fair. He is one who will execute justice on all of our enemies, on all those who do evil. God will execute justice. We see that in verses 5 through 7. It says, who will escape? In verse 7, who will escape God's wrath? Nobody's going to escape his wrath. That we can find comfort in the fact that God is a God of justice. We can find comfort in the fact that he's caring and loving, as we just saw in verses 8 through 9. That he sees our turnings and our tossings. He cares about our tears. He sees them and saves them. We can trust him because he is faithful. Verse 9 says, this I know, that God is for me. He is for us. He is loyal. He is faithful. We can trust him because he is a saving God. Verse 13 says, he delivered my soul from death. And we can trust him because he is a present God. Verse 13 says, I will walk 
before God in the light of his life. And so we can trust him. Why? Because he is who he said he is. He's God. And he is a God who is gracious and merciful, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and, for, for, and forgiveness and faithfulness. He's a God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ who said, I am gentle and lowly in spirit. Come to me and rest. He's a, he's a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness. And so all of these things, what I want you to be hearing this morning is that you have a God who cares. You have a God who loves. You have a God who is gentle and present and near to the brokenhearted. Romans 8 verses 31 to 39 says this. Really, I think Paul is, is thinking about Psalm 56 because several lines he uses seems to quote Psalm 56. Romans 8, 31 to 39 says this. What then shall we say to these things? He's talking about all the tribulations, all the, all the persecutions, all of these things. He's saying if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who can bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What was Paul's confidence in? Paul's confidence was in God. Who God said he was and who God is. Who is God? Essentially, he is a God of love who has promised to love his children with a steadfast love. A love that nothing would ever separate us from. And that's the confidence we have in our fears and in our tears is that we can trust this God. So just a couple of points of application. The first is, do you believe this gospel? Do you believe that Jesus is a Savior who came not only to forgive our sins, but to be near his people in the moment of their need, in the moment of their sadness? That Jesus experienced the sadness that none of us ever could or none of us ever will experience if we trust in him for the forgiveness of our sins. Because Jesus experienced separation from his father, the eternal father, one that he had eternal relationship with. Imagine that separation. And Jesus wept in the garden. He was crying. He was anxious. He was fearful. And he went through all of that for us. He was willing to go to the cross. 
so that we could be forgiven of our sins and could experience the nearness of God in our times of need. And so this Jesus, do you believe in him? Do you believe that he is a gentle and lowly Savior, one who wants to hear your cries? If you do, then this should really change your approach to other sinners. What do I mean? Well, you're a sinner. I hope you know that by now, sitting under my preaching. You're a sinner. You need God's forgiveness. You need his mercy. And you've been able to experience that if you believe the gospel. And so what does that mean? What it should mean is that it changes your response to other sinners and their sin. It changes your response to being one that's more like your Savior, which is gentleness and kindness and compassion and mercy. And so is that the way you interact often with other people? 1 Samuel chapter 22, after David uh, has escaped and he's in a cave, 1 Samuel 22 says that all the distressed and bitter in soul came to him and he became their leader. Now what is that saying? It's saying all of those who were depressed, who were downcast, who were upset about their living situation, they saw David as a person that they could go to. Now, why do you think that is? It's probably because he had been able to show his own soft side. Who, who are people who are distressed and depressed and downcast and bitter in soul most attracted to? It's those who are gentle and compassionate and able to hear them in their troubles. And so David, this mighty warrior, became the leader of that band of people. The depressed and the distressed and the downcast. Don't you want to be the kind of person that people feel safe around? I do. I, I don't know if I often am, but I think we want our church to be a place where people feel safe. With their sadnesses with their fears, with their troubles, with their anxieties. And if our Savior is one that we can bring our anxieties to Him because He cares for us, shouldn't His church be a place where people can cast their cares because we care for them? That's the kind of church I want to have. That's the kind of pastor I want to be. I want to be a place where people feel safe. And so the final thing Kind of a challenge to my fellow men. I might be stereotyping here a little bit, but um, I've been known to be self-described as emotionally constipated. All right, self-description. I know I'm not supposed to say that kind of stuff in church. Well, that's me, and I think that kind of runs oftentimes with being a male. Now, I know some men who are really, you know, able to express their feelings in an outward way, which I think is is good. It's healthy for all of us. And women are able to do that typically, generally, easier than men are. Yes, I am making gender stereotypes right now. Generalities. I'm not going to apologize for that. Um, but men, we really need to have ourselves challenged sometimes. Are you able to cry? Really? When's the last time you cried? When's the last time tears came from your eyes. It's not bad. 
It's not unmanly to weep. And so I'm not telling you to go force yourself, go pour some tears out, but let yourself be sad. Jesus is a Savior who is gentle and lowly, who sees your tears, who acknowledges your pain, and if you're able to do that as a man, to, to allow yourself to be vulnerable in that way with God and even with others, I think that's the kind of thing that people are going to be attracted to when we have a church. You know, that doesn't mean we have to come in here every you know, Sunday and we're just going to be weeping on the floor every Sunday, right? No, there's, there's joy songs as well, all right? There's happy clapping songs as well. But all of us need to see that it's okay. It's okay to be afraid sometimes. It's okay to cry sometimes. And it's okay because God is the Lord. And he is a God who cares and who loves his children. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the good news of your gospel that says we can be honest with ourselves about the pains that we feel, the sadnesses that we feel, about our cares, about our anxieties, about our fears, about our sadnesses. Thank you that you are a God who doesn't get sick of our crying, who doesn't get sick of our emotions, that you are a God who cares, that you are near to the brokenhearted, that you save our tears. And so, Lord, be with us. Be with those who need comforting this morning. Be the God of comfort for them. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.